the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Some people think he's controversial. He's served his country in multiple ways. But Colonel Alan West, uh, he has ruffled some feathers. He's going to join us next. Now, it's the Michelle Tafoya podcast. So Colonel Alan West has represented Florida in Congress. He has served his country in the armed services, in the Army, Um, He now lives in Texas. He's got a podcast. I was on his podcast. And so I thought it'd be interesting to flip the, you know, to turn the tables and let me ask the questions. So we're going to do that. He's controversial to some. Uh, I find him to be a very likable guy, but let's get into it with Alan West. He's got some definite opinions on this NAACP travel advisory to Florida, a state, again, that he used to represent. We will ask him about that and some other very controversial topics that are hot right now. Speaking of hot right now, I've got some breaking news. Genucel has upgraded their most popular package to feature their top-selling, top-selling deep-firming vitamin C serum plus ultra-retinol moisturizer with natural retinol alternatives. I love these products. And right now, take advantage of this limited-time package upgrade for 70% off. This is terrific. Why waste time and money to get work done to your face when you can get GenuCell skincare shipped right to your door and have wonderful results. Here's a GenuCell.com review from Robert in Blessing, Texas. Quote, I purchased GenuCell as a gift for my girlfriend. She said she saw results so fast, we joined their concierge program immediately. It's honestly the best skincare she's ever used and is extremely impressed with all the GenuCell products, as am I. Her skin is noticeably softer and smoother. I can see and feel a difference too. She was already beautiful and GenuCell has made her more beautiful. That's very sweet. Uh, Listen, I've experienced similar results. And GenuCell's secret is a family recipe for over 20 years that makes it safe for all skin types and perfect for both men and women, by the way, made by a compounding pharmacist in small batches. It's always safe, cruelty-free, and natural. So go to GenuCell.com, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle. Save over 70% off GenuCell's most popular package featuring both GenuCell Ultra, Retinol, and GenuCell Firming Serum. Do not wait. Go to GenuCell.com slash M-I-C-H-E-L-E, one L in Michelle, GenuCell.com slash Michelle. Get a complimentary spa essentials box with every package order, plus free upgrade to priority shipping. GenuCell.com slash Michelle, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle with one L. Colonel Alan West, thank you for being here. Welcome. It's my pleasure and an honor to be with you, Michelle. And thank you for being on our Steadfast and Loyal podcast. Yeah, Steadfast and Loyal. That is, uh, yes, it was a fun, fun visit. I want people to know you, uh, you know, sometimes we just cut to now. 
Oh, here's mm-hmm. Colonel Alan West. And we don't know all of the layers that brought you to where you are. I guess we can start with you went to college at, at, in Tennessee, correct? Yeah, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, go Big Orange, Rocky Top, and uh, <laughs> got commissioned. To, hey, we finally got a football team now, so I can rejoice oh, a little listen, bit. Oh, listen, you had one back then, too. I remember I was, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, I was yeah. there quite a bit covering that, that team uh, well, as a young college sideline reporter. Um, so, but right after college, you went into the mm-hmm. army, right? Yes, I did. I uh, was commissioned there in the United States Field Artillery on the uh, 31st of July, 1982, and uh, went on active duty uh, after graduating in 1983. And it was fulfilling my uh, father's dream. My father was a World War II Army Corporal, and he challenged me to be the first officer in our family because my older brother was an enlisted Marine. He served in Vietnam. Uh, so it was a big day. It was the only day that I ever saw my, only time I ever saw my dad cry was when he pinned on my second lieutenant bars. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great memory to him. And oh, my goodness. On- I, I didn't realize that your family was so had had so much service within it. It makes sense to me. But so yeah. this was a father's wish you were you were fulfilling. Uh, but what mm-hmm. about it for you? What did it do for you to to be able to serve? I mean, obviously, you made your father proud. Well, it was an incredible calling to to again, you know, follow in the footsteps of a dad who served in combat, and uh, he served in an army that was segregated at the time. But he loved this country, and he told me that there was no greater honor than to wear the uniform of this great nation. And uh, that's what I've always felt. And and the incredible thing, Michelle, is that uh, in June I will get the chance to go to Fort Lewis, Washington, just south of Seattle. Uh, my nephew, my older brother's son, who is now Lieutenant Colonel. Herman Bernard West III, he will be taking command of an artillery battalion, which he saw me take command of 21 years ago. So the legacy just continues on. Oh, that that is really cool. I, I have such admiration for people who are willing to serve, to put them, you know, put, put country before themselves really is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so ups, downs, in your time in the Army, mm-hmm. was there a peak, was there a valley? Well, sure. Uh, the greatest thing that I can recall being in Afghanistan, watching little girls be able to go to school uh, because they would have not had that opportunity. And I'm the father of two girls. And I just saw in the two and a half years I was over there, I saw that hope, that dream that we were providing to them, just the same as our daughters have here. It's sad that now that's been taken away from yeah. them. And and I guess that's the uh, that's the valley in that when you look at all of the commitments that have been made and the sacrifices have been made by so many uh, to see our national security posture and the regard and respect of our military kind of kind of waning. Yes, people say thank you for our service. But when you hear about some of the horrific ways that veterans are being treated, we should not have homeless veterans. We shouldn't have jobless veterans. I think we need to do a little bit better job of respecting and regarding those who have been willing to make the last full measure of devotion. I couldn't agree with you more. You decided to serve in Congress in Florida. How Hmm. did you get to Florida? Well, you know, a happy wife, happy life. So (laughs) after I... (laughs) After I retired uh, in 2004 out of Fort Hood, Texas, I turned to my wife and I asked her wherever you want to go, because on top of everything, her dad, 
Uh, my father-in-law served 24 years in the United States Army, two combat tours of Vietnam. He's buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Oh, wow. So it was just nice for Angela to be able to finally decide that she was going to pick a place where she could uh, put a roost down. So we went to South Florida because she's originally from Jamaica and I'm originally from Georgia. So it was a good in-between. We were close enough to both sides of the family. Uh, and I was challenged by a woman down there um, to to continue my oath of service to the military from from the military to to run for office, she said, just because you retired doesn't mean that your oath to the Constitution is ended. And that was really a a sucker punch to the gut uh, because I never thought about entering the arena of politics. And so you did. You did not win the first time, but you did win mm-hmm. the second time. And mm-hmm. what can you tell us about serving in Congress that could? Make us somewhat optimistic. Right now we're in the middle of this debt ceiling crisis, as everyone yeah. likes to call it. I'm sure it's just going to go to the 11th hour and then we'll, it'll all fall into place. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, these theatrics, these, the drama, the, the divisiveness, is there anything you can tell us that should make us feel better? <laughs> Well, I think the thing is, it's a reflection on us as the American electorate, because the people that are there are there only because we elected them to be there. And I believe that we have to get some uh, semblance and understanding of what it means to be a citizen in a constitutional republic and start sending people to Washington, D.C. or to our respective state houses or to our local community, school board, county commission uh, that want to serve us and not be served. And, and that's the essence of being in the military. That's the essence that I learned in being a commander of over 600 troops. It wasn't about me. It was about those 600 troops. And if we had members of the House and Senate that were not concerned about their self-interest or their special interest, but the American interest, I don't think we'd be in the situation that we're in. So it's kind of a pox on both of the houses up there, Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter. They brought us into this situation. It's interesting that you say that we had Dan Crenshaw of Texas on uh, the other day, and he he talked about both sides being being guilty in all of this. You know, we pick mm-hmm. teams, we pick our jerseys, and we fight against the other side. I, really, what I want is the right thing to be done. I don't care who gets mm-hmm. it done. I just want the right thing to be done. Uh, so, how confident are you that this debt ceiling thing is not going to turn into a a you know a debacle? Well, it's, it's, you know, business as usual. They'll go to the last minute and somehow, some way they'll find some compromised position. But the thing is that I don't know if it will do anything to help the fiscal uh, standing of the United States of America. They'll slap themselves on the back. But we have got to, you can't be $32 trillion in debt. You can't have almost 130, uh, percent GDP uh, to debt ratio, that's redlining your economy. And when you see the, uh, the the downgrading of our credit rating and things of this nature, they've got to understand that we need to have fiscal responsibility. We can't run our houses like this. You know, no. People in business can't run their businesses like this. It seems to me we're pretty smart people here in America for the most, I mean, a lot of us are very smart. We're wise even maybe more than being smart is it more important is, is to be wise mm-hmm. and, and do things judiciously. And it just seems like we aren't, we aren't living up to our potential here in the States in terms of decision-making and so forth. Um, I want to get to, you're in Texas now, right? Yes, ma'am. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. 
Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay. And you did try to run for governor at one point, an unsuccessful Mm -hmm. bid. What Mm -hmm. are your future political aspirations at this point? Well, one of the things I tell people is that I never try to move the chess pieces of my life. I put it in God's hands. Uh, there's a, a favorite scripture of mine it comes from Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart, lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. And so I was the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. And, and I saw, you know, a need for good, strong, principled uh, and constitutional leadership here in the state of Texas. Uh, and look at what is happening. We're being overrun at the border. We are having issues as far as getting educational freedom and school choice passed. Uh, as, a, as a matter of fact, we, we can't even get legislation passed here that says we don't want China buying up uh, lands in the yeah. state of Texas. So there are a lot of issues that, that I saw. And uh, it's very hard to run against an incumbent governor. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. But as the British SAS, their motto says, who dares wins. Who dares does win uh, very often. I, this You have a Substack column, which people should mm-hmm. know about. Um, and so <laughs> I love this. The delusion and disillusion of the NAACP. The NAACP is aligned with a political party that has consistently embraced the ideas of physical and economic enslavement when it comes to blacks in America. Well, that should make people want to read even further. And you start again with Proverbs. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Why did you start with that? Well, if you think about what the the NAACP put out at the beginning of this week, this travel advisory for folks going to Florida, and when you consider that the president of the NAACP lives in Tampa, Florida, and has always lived there, how absolutely asinine and insane it was. And that's why I started by saying, you know, even a fool is considered wise if you keep your mouth shut. So why would you open your mouth and confirm the fact? And that's exactly what they have done. And so when you go through that substack piece, I kind of break down the history of the NAACP and its uh, philosophical alignment and its political alignment and how they have you know, aligned themselves with everything that is against the success and the prosperity of the black community. And furthermore, why would you sit around and talk about uh, don't travel to Florida if you're black because it's against blacks or, you know, it's a terrorist state for blacks? When in his first weekend in Chicago, Mayor Brandon Johnson had 23 shootings in the black community. You look at New York City, all the major urban centers, what's going on in the black uh, community. But the NAACP is not talking about that. No, and it it is really interesting. Um, Black Lives Matter until they're in Chicago for some reason, and then it's suddenly ignored. I'm I'm unclear on a lot of this rhetoric, but I think it's it gets down to politics, right? Everything's political. Yes. And yeah. we, it, they timed this right before Ron DeSantis made his announcement mm-hmm. to to run for president. Uh, and, and by the way, quick aside on that, um, I don't. What is your 
relationship with or knowledge of and about Ron DeSantis? Well, I know of the governor. I've never personally met him. He came into Congress as I was coming out of Congress. He's done a very good job down there in the state of Florida. It's not that he inherited everything. You still have to govern and you yeah. still have to take people through that incredible COVID uh, process. And he took a lot of heat for the decisions that he's made. But I think that when you look at where Florida is, he's got a great record. He's got a great story. I probably would not have taken the risk of making an announcement on Twitter because now we see some of the glitches and some of the problems. I think it's important that you present yourself before the people. You have a, a big crowd, a big rally, so everyone can tune in and see it instead of having this thing where, you know, you have to try to sign on and then there's some glitches or whatever. Uh, I think he kind of compensated by going back on Fox afterwards for an in-person interview. But now the whole thing is about getting out there and presenting your image and presenting your message. Those are the two most important aspects. Well, someone put it this morning uh, in, in the analysis. I mean, I, I think this will be a, a blip in the, in, this This is just the beginning, right? And, and mm -hmm. I was on that Twitter spaces. I was waiting, I was watching, I was hearing the <laughs> three words and then it cut off and three more words and then it cut off. And finally, after 20 minutes, they reestablished. Look, I, I don't mind a little risk taking. I think it's interesting. No. And and someone pointed out in 2007, Barack Obama had an amazing announcement, but it took him all, like a year to catch up to Hillary Clinton in the polls. So, it, it yeah. you know, it's we're going to forget about this just as quickly as anything because of the news yeah. cycle and so on and so forth. Um, it's about so, indoors. Yes. Yeah. It is about endurance. You're absolutely right. This is a marathon, not a sprint, as the old saying goes. Mm -hmm. And that's quite an old saying. But let's get back to this. I, I, everything's political. The NAACP mm -hmm. clearly timed this with Ron DeSantis. There is a hatred of DeSantis that I think goes to the fact that people think of him as a threat. I mean, he won Florida yeah. in a landslide in 2022. And it won every county but five. I mean, it was an it was an absolute landslide. He's got this beautiful family that I think is going to be a great, his wife is going to be a great, um, you know, sort of political weapon, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. just to be around him. And by the way, I, I own land. I own a place in Florida. And after that hurricane, the the preparation for that hurricane and the response to that hurricane was unbelievably sound yeah. and quick and good. So uh, for whatever that's worth, um, I just want to read a little bit from your Substack. This week began with a bombshell statement from the NAACP invoking a travel advisory for blacks to the state of Florida. The bomb backfired, however. There have been some who have gone as far as making the insidious claim that Florida is a state of terrorism against blacks and LGBTQIA plus alphabet soup people. I would recommend to those making such delusional statements to heed the wise counsel of King Solomon in the aforementioned quote, which we read from Proverbs. There are absurd statements, and then there are statements that reflect a, quote, stuck on stupid level of delusion. And this was one. And Hillary Clinton went with it too. And then our favorites, our ladies on The View, Joy Behar, um, in reference mm. to Tim Scott, said, Tim Scott, like Clarence Thomas, is a Republican who believes in pulling himself up by the bootstraps. I believe in systemic racism is essentially what she said. Mm -hmm. uh, isn't the pull yourself up by the bootstraps the more hopeful message? 
It is the more hopeful message. And as you heard Tim Scott articulate, that's not the message that the progressive socialist at the Democrat Party wants to have. They want to have the message of not being a victor, but being a victim. And you and I discussed that. Who wants to go out and cheer a losing team? We want to cheer a winning team. But yet you have a political philosophy that wants you to be a loser because then you have to be dependent upon them. And if you want to talk about systemic racism, as articulated in that Substack piece, look at the history of the Democrat Party. It is the party of slavery. It is the party of secession. Uh, it is the party of segregation, of Jim Crow, of lynchings, of poll taxes, literacy tests, uh, all of these things. When you look at the decimation of the traditional nuclear black family, that comes from the policies of Lyndon Johnson, the great society. You, you look at awarding women with a check from government for having children out of wedlock, but the caveat was that you could not have a working man on the home. So the black community goes from 75 to 77% two-parent household to now today 24 to 25%. So all of these things are right there. And it's that, I, I call it the soft bigotry of low expectations. Amen. And, and that's exactly what Joy Behar and them were saying is that, you know, don't pay attention to these outliers, you know, Clarence Thomas, uh, you know, Tim Scott, Alan West or whomever. They, they aren't the real, you know, uh, indicators of what America is about. America holds you down. Uh, don't pay attention to Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan. I mean, all of the great athletes that you have seen, that did not come from great starts, did not come from great backgrounds. But again, the race in America is an endurance race. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you got to keep focused on that championship. And that's what we want people to do. And by the way, I would say that a pull your boots, pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality can apply to anyone of any skin mm -hmm. color. I happen to come from a family of brown. Uh, I may not look it because my mom is Irish, but my dad is Hispanic, his entire family. Um, he was one of 11 kids, grew up dirt poor and gave me the example of what it means to work extremely hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, this isn't just applicable to, I would say there are plenty of white people out there. JD Vance is a great story of someone mm -hmm. who pulled himself up by his bootstraps. Not everyone turns out to be as successful as Tim Scott or Beyonce, or you mentioned Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Of course not. Uh, it, but, uh, but they're there. They're examples yeah. and they should be illustrative of what is possible. Yeah, we determine the success ourselves. And that's why I don't believe in equity, because equity is about an equality of outcomes yes. instead of equality of opportunities. And think about it, Michelle, the, the people who came here uh, from Vietnam when the communists overran that country and it failed. Now you're looking at second and third generation Harvard educated children. Uh, you, you and my wife know that there were never such a thing as nail salons until these women from Vietnam, most of them came and opened up these businesses and look at how they're thriving. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want to articulate. It's not about the color of your skin. It's about the content of your character. Oh, who, who absolutely said that? <laughs> Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I, I have a question because you just detailed how the Democrat Party is responsible for so much of the suffering in the past. How did the narrative get turned to Republicans are racists and want to hold you mm. down and Democrats are the savior? How did that happen? Uh, because Republicans need to go to marketing and communications 101 class. As a matter of fact, you're an impeccable communicator. You should set up some type of, you know, instruction for Republicans <laughs> to be able to get their message out. The Republican Party was founded in 1854 on one single issue, and that was the end slavery, 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments. 
Those were all passed by Republicans. No support from Democrats. The very first members, black members of the United States House of Representatives and the Senate were black Republicans. Here in the state of Texas, the largest state Republican Party in the country, it was founded by black men, the Republican Party of Texas, 150 black men. And uh, it's, it's those simple things that we have forgotten. We don't articulate that. And we allow the other side to dictate the narrative and take over the message. And so I think it's so important, not the faces or the colors of the faces that we have out there, all of us, should be talking this message about individual rights, freedoms, and liberty, not collective subjugation, and this positive message of being able to rise above. I, I, you know, it's that thing where they say that, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. Well, the Democrat Party has been out there sinking boats uh, since they uh, first came into being, and uh, we need to draw that contrast. Yeah, there, there. Maybe it is some. Maybe I will start a consulting firm. Let's see. You should totally, uh, <laughs> totally. I mean. Let's get into this topic of which is also being discussed. And again, this is a a, a skin color issue um, mm. of reparations. You know, th- oh. there, there was a time where I started reading a little bit of Ibram X. Kendi and I, and I read some stuff, and I thought, God, these stories. Some of these are just absolutely tragic and horrific, and but they are anecdotal. They're anecdotes uh, about things that happen. And I could come up with as many anecdotes about anybody, any class mm-hmm. of people, women, just women. I could come up with anecdotes mm-hmm. that would suggest that women deserve reparations. But slavery is the original sin and slavery was committed against black people. And so th- th- that's that's where, you know, they focus this this original sin and point at that, and so that these people deserve reparations. You've seen in San Francisco what they're what they're proposing. There have been efforts in Tampa, Florida, three million a person. What do you make of all this? Well, first and foremost, if we want to get you know historically accurate, the Democrat Party should be writing checks to black people, uh, not the American people. Uh, you know, the Chinese can ask for reparations because they were out there slaving in the hot sun, building the Transcontinental Railroad. Uh, the Irish, uh, the Hispanic community, there are different communities. I mean, we can look at slavery all across the, the country. Uh, my dad was born in 1920 in South Alabama. He jumped the Chattahoochee River and grew up in South Georgia. But I remember the day when my dad made his last mortgage payment on his home. Uh, he, he did not get a check from the government to do that, but he had the quality of opportunity to do that. And so what I would say, instead of talking about writing checks to individuals, why don't we make sure that we have better quality inner city schools? Why don't we make sure we have the uh, the quality of opportunity of educational freedom and education choice? Look at what has happened in North Carolina, where the Democrat governor of North Carolina, Governor Cooper, is instituting a state of emergency because they passed school choice legislation in the state of North Carolina. So basically what he's saying is, I don't want you to get a, the access to a good quality education. Randy Weingarten, I mean, mm-hmm. why don't she go out there and start writing some reparations checks? Because when you look at Baltimore and many of these inner city communities where kids are not functioning at their grade level in math and science. But, oh, by the way, then the left comes back and says that math is racist. Uh, I never knew that two plus two was equals four was racist. Mm-hmm. So everything comes back to this cultural Marxism, which divides us not just on socioeconomic uh, status, but now on racial status. And how stupid it is that California, a state that was always a free state, uh, wants to give out reparations uh, to people out there 
who were never slaves. And they want people who were never slave owners to pay people who were never slaves. That's how dumb this whole idea is. It it, it strikes me as dumb too, but I, um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's messaging. It's this desire to stay angry. It's a mm-hmm. desire to keep dividing. Do you believe in this simple idea of, you know, like I can make money off of dividing people. Um, and so that's what I'm going to do. Sort of the Al Sharpton approach to life. Is that well, what he's, is that what really is there for him? Yeah. They're the race hustlers. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, the, the person that we share fondness for Booker T. Washington talked mm. about this, you know, when he said there's a, a group of people in the Negro community and the black community that want to keep these grievances before people because it elevates them. It gives them a position of power and it also provides them a compensation. And so that's what Al Sharpton is all about. That's what, you know, Benjamin Crump, all of these people are all about stirring up this pot. And really what I call them are the new overseers on a 21st century economic plantation uh, to keep this angst stirred up and to keep people held down and to keep uh, people voting for the uh, the policies of, of a party that once used blacks to pick cotton. And now they're using blacks to pick votes. Wow. Do you see any movement there? Because we have seen, mm. you know, the Blexit movement. Uh, yes. We have seen uh, more blacks voted for Ron DeSantis the second time around yes. than the first time around. Is this a legitimate sort of awakening? Yeah, it is. And, you know, I did some time serving with the Marine Corps and, you know, got to know some uh, folks in the Navy. And it takes five miles to turn an aircraft carrier around to launch aircraft into the wind. So it's going to take some time when you think about how the left has really done a good job of bombarding their message. But if you start to get to 20 percent in the black community, 25 percent that are, you know, given the Heisman move to the Democrat Party, that sinks their battleship. And it's not just in the black community, but Michelle uh, is the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. My big effort was to get down into the Rio Grande Valley. And in 2020, you saw the Rio Grande Valley flip. And you had counties that had never gone Republican for a century that went Republican, like Zapata County. And with this uh, incursion of illegal immigration, you're seeing even more support from Hispanics. We even had a Hispanic member of the Texas State House switch from uh, Democrat to Republican. So I think that when you get out there and you get people to understand principles and values and vote their interests and and bring that up to them, uh, they will look at things through a different prism. Are you going to win over everybody? Absolutely not. But think about you mentioned Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is now going bankrupt. Uh, But yet they didn't help a single person in the black community whatsoever. Uh, and so as people have the scales fall off their eyes, they see more clearly. But it takes many of us to get out there and continue to get that message out uh, and touch these respective communities. You know, I I try to be as, as fair minded as I can be. I try to mm-hmm. look at both sides of arguments. But I, I there isn't a single thing that this president has done that I have felt really good about. Um, mm-hmm. except for when he lifted the mask mandate and that was sort of forced on him <laughs> by a federal judge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, it's been a, a massive disappointment for me. I, I thought when, you know, okay, Biden's probably going to get elected here. I think, you know, we'll be okay, especially if we can keep some numbers in the house and the Senate. And, um, 
I, I must tell you, I, I, I've been dreadfully disappointed. Has there been a, a, a sort of the biggest disappointment for you with Biden or is all of this, was this what you expected? Well, it's, it's somewhat what I expected. I, I remember when uh, Joe Biden was head of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate and he was grilling Clarence Thomas. So he pretty much so let us know who he was back then. Uh, but to see the decimation of all of our founding principles and values, to see the decimation of our economic security, our energy security, our national security, foreign policy, our border security, our domestic security, to see this assault on our children and, and all of this gender mutilation uh, talk that is going on. Uh, this has happened at such a rapid uh, speed that that is what has shocked me more than anything else. Mm. But I kind of got the sense it was coming because in the first two years of the Obama administration, they wasted a lot of time being bogged down with Obamacare. And so I think that the progressive socialist left said, we're we're not going to get bogged down on anything this time. We're going to start out. Joe Biden's in the White House. We've got the House and we got the Senate. We're going to go full metal jacket and get as much of this stuff done as we possibly can. And that's why you see the Green New Deal sticking in there, this ESG uh, mm. governance where, you know, you, your your personal investments has to go into this ESG and green energy stuff. I mean, the tentacles of government are reaching down too deep and too far into our personal lives. You can't even decide what kind of stove you want or what kind of dishwashing machine that you want in your own home. That's how insidious this got. It is it is stunning, and the speed has been stunning. You mentioned a term earlier. I want to finish with this because I think a lot of people may be in denial that mm. cultural Marxism could be creeping into the United States, but it is. It yes. is. How would you describe it in a way that people can say, well, damn, that is what's happening? Well, it's what's happening in that, you know, everybody's a racist. Uh, even me, uh, if I don't go along with the agenda of the progressive social theft, I'm the black face of white supremacy. Yeah. Uh, and, and so everything has to fit into this box of cultural Marxism. Everything has to fit into this box of either you're an oppressor or you're uh, being oppressed. Either you're a victim or you're victor or, you know, we're going to go after you if you don't agree with our agenda. So when Joe Biden gave his, uh, inaugural speech about unity. It wasn't about unity. It was about conformity. And Winston Churchill said it very succinctly that socialism is a creed of ignorance. It is a philosophy of failure, and it believes in an equal sharing of misery. And that's the path that we're on right now. And we got an opportunity to stop it. Equal share of misery. I forgot about that part. That is, uh, yeah, I'd say that everyone's trying to, to, to shove it off on everyone. We've all got to be miserable. Yeah. We can't all be happy. And it's just not, not yeah. the case. Uh, Colonel Allen West, great to see you. I hope we can do My it pleasure. again. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. As always, be brave and do good. And we will see you next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.